0: Talk Radio
1: And now we have everybody. Woo! We have Facebook land, we have the Vibe Radio Network and we are open to go. Yeah. Kind of sorta, of, I think. Kind of sorta, of, I gotta get back
0: to Big that's all right. He's coming back.
1: Uh, but yeah, so yeah, it's been um been a busy week. Very busy week. But, uh, and, yeah, we have only only been a week since we uh, chatted with you all last. And
0: this is our our off week that we're actually doing a show on because we're going to be gone for two weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So uh, our next show won't be until um, mid to late July, three weeks from today. I don't know what it is. It's three weeks from today. It's all
0: that matters. 18. (laughs) Yeah. I had to count for a second.
1: Yeah, so. But, yeah, so we're uh, here for uh, our second week in a row uh, to go ahead, and we're
0: sticking to the
1: uh, Pacific, uh, Pacific Northwest. Yeah.
0: So if you didn't, notice last, or didn't hear last uh, time we were on, uh, Chris and I are actually going on an Alaskan cruise. That's where we're going to be gone and why we won't be able to do a show.
1: And that's why we're doing onto Alaska tonight. Yes. Yeah. Because why not? Now, maybe we're getting a little ahead of ourselves because we actually are going to do some ghost tours while we're up that way, but uh, we'll talk about that later after we actually maybe do some ghost tours. <laughs> because we want to give a shout-out to those who we go and
0: see. We're doing yeah. two of
1: them. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, we're looking forward to that. But, uh, yes, we're going to be gone for a little bit. And, uh, ah, a little snuck. Uh, Vincent's in a biting mood. But, yeah. Just so cut up, dude. Uh, anyway. But, yeah, so, yeah, um, yeah, let's see. That, that's what we got coming up uh, immediately. And uh, next month's going to be a crazy busy month. Um, but, oh, so, what is your issue? Shout out to uh, our friends at the John Marshall house for letting us come on out and have a tour there last Friday. So, okay, off you go.
0: <laughs> You've been banished. Goodbye. <sighs> anyway. All right. Don't bite your brother.
1: But, yeah, so, um.
0: Yeah. What were we? yeah, so we were at the John Marshall House um, this past Saturday doing tours there. We're going to be doing uh, tours again in July and again in August. So definitely check those out. You can come join us. Join us in one of those two months. Um, the 16th of July, we're going to be down at Henrikus Park, and we're going to be doing an investigation uh, for uh, Pierce of Care. And again, those of you that have been following us for a while know that this is the charity we support every year. Uh, so this is a fundraiser for them. And then um, two weeks after that, we'll actually be at the Pierce, Care Convention in Williamsburg uh, for the entire weekend. Again, that last weekend in July. So if you want to come talk to us, tell spooky things, uh, come on out and check us there. And, of course, you know, check out all the fun stuff and the uh, actors and authors who are going to be there and the panels, which look amazing that I've seen so far. Uh, so I'm looking really much looking forward to this. Uh, and also the concert that's going to be happening Friday night with Voltaire. Yeah, lots of fun. Lots of fun.
1: And that's just. And I'm
0: gonna ski- I'm gonna sing karaoke, so geez. you've been warned. <laughs>
1: You're safe from me. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, so, anyway, so, so yeah. it. Right.
0: Yeah. So that's what we're doing for July. All right, so let's dive into of Alaska. Um, Alaska, of course, is a landscape that is like no other found in the United States. It's vast. It's desolate, and it's. Uh, it's America's Last Frontier. It's right for your adventurers, your nature enthusiasts, and those who just want to get off the grid. we see TV shows. <laughs> They're fascinating, by the way. That said, it's home to a few bustling cities nestled amongst the mountains and the water- waterways where trade and industry popped up early in the state's history. Uh, still, it's been so far separated from the lower 48. Even the cities have a rustic frontier field that stands in contrast to the modern technology that you may find there, in fact, I saw a um, story today that there's a, a town up there that's basically all encompassed in one huge building. We're going to talk about that tonight, and I thought it was fascinating.
1: Yep. <laughs> so that that's actually going to be featured tonight. It's a really neat. It's, uh, it's going to be near the end of the show. Yeah.
0: This is the one that Chris found that I apparently did take much script long. Anyway. Uh, so whether you find yourself in downtown Anchorage or in the middle of the Alaskan wilderness without another breathing soul for miles, there lingers a been feeling of something unseen. Some people would call this God's country. Others might be inclined to uh, credit the fairies, the nymphs and the other wild creatures for the energy that the land emits. For the sake of tonight, we're going to speak of the spirits from earlier generations. So she came to Alaska in life, and who linger on there in death. Alaskans' history is rich with ghostly lore from the miners and the hunters who never returned home from the wilderness to accidents and tragedies that shocked the larger community. There is a lot of fuel for the paranormal encounters throughout Alaska's past. Many of the local will have had a haunted tale to share with you, so you should have a chance to chat with them. Tonight, we just have a few samplings of the stories that have been supposed to paper by those who have crashed paths within Alaskan Here, and we're going to start naming.
1: Yeah. Now, Anchorage is maybe admittedly kind of low-hanging fruit. It's it's Alaska's biggest city by far. Um, And, uh, you know, it's located on the Cook Inlet, uh, which is named after Captain James Cook. Uh, The Anchorage area was first settled by the indigenous people about 5,000 years ago. And it was only a little over 100 years ago that the roots of the modern city were established, with less than 1,900 people living there in 1920. So really kind of put things into perspective, you know, this was a
0: it's a big city, Alaska standards, but it's a small city for everybody else.
1: Yes. So it was in 1916 when some of Anchorage's earliest, earliest residents saw a potentially bright future for the community and built the Anchorage Hotel at the corner of 3rd Avenue and E Street. The founder's optimism was well justified as a growing population and economy called for an expansion of the hotel in 1936. This took the form of an annex across the alley with a skybridge connecting the two buildings. For years, the Anchorage Hotel stood as the center of opulence and and social activity. Many notable figures dined and lodged at the hotel, which at one time was the only place in Anchorage where one could dine on fine china and with linen tablecloth napkins as time went on the original building was sold and eventually torn down and the annex a lot was allowed to fall into a state of neglect in 1989 new owners took over and by 1994 had completely restored the aging hotel it is now listed on the national register of historic places and has returned to its original state of grandeur. By most standards, the hotel is fairly small with only three floors that sit well below the towering Hilton Hotel that now resides on the site of the original Anchorage Hotel. But what the Anchorage in, lacks in size, it makes up for with spirited tales. There have been so many ghostly encounters associated with the hotel that the staff keeps a logbook of visitor ghost sightings. The second floor seems to be the most active area of the hotel, particularly rooms 215 and 217. Everybody wrote that down, right? <laughs> it isn't uncommon for curtains to rustle and shower curtains to sway back and forth without a breath of air to explain the movement. Televisions turn themselves off and on, as do the bathroom faucets. Lately, there have been reports of the sound of children running up and down the halls at night. Guests will call down to the lobby to complain, only to be told there are no children registered in the hotel for the night. By all accounts, they're just happy little kids. Noisy, perhaps, but not causing any serious trouble. As for where these children may come from, it's believed that they may have been victims of the influenza in 1938. While they did not die in the hotel, it was a place that they loved to run around and play for their passing. It would have been one of the few places that they could gather and stay warm and dry in the coldest, darkest months of an Anchorage winter. Another newer occurrence seems to concentrate on the stairwell area. Staff will often hear footsteps going up and down the staircase at night, and several have even witnessed the apparition of a man coming down only to vanish. Of the many ghost sightings and miscellaneous paranormal activity, the hotel seems to have two distinguished and well-known ghosts. The first is that of a jilted lover from the 1920s. A woman preparing to be wed was staying at the hotel when her fiance struck it rich in the gold mining industry. The newly made millionaire stood the woman up on her wedding day. Not cool. No, not cool. In her grief, she hanged herself in her wedding dress in a room on the second floor. She is now seen wandering throughout the hotel halls in her wedding dress, but most frequently on the second floor, close to where she ended her short life. The second most recognized ghost is that of John J. Sturgis. Sturgis was the first sheriff of Anchorage. On Sunday, February 20, 1921, the sheriff was shot in the chest by an unknown assailant and was found in the rear stairwell of a local drugstore, located off the alley between the hotel and where the new annex would one day be built. He was 50 years old and died on route to the hospital. He was buried four days later in the Anchorage Cemetery. The crime was never solved, but Sturgis lingers around the hotel right by where his life was taken. If a spirited stay in the last uh on your to-do list, a visit to the Anchorage Hotel is a good place to start. But it's not the only place for you to go and have. Such thing Anchorage.
0: Anchorage. Well, I gotta say, I'm gonna go to this place because looking at the pictures, it's gorgeous. Cool so this is the Hotel Captain Cook, and you know, it's, of course, haunted accommodations. It's only a few blocks west of the Hotel Captain Cook, or from the Hotel uh, Anchorage, and this modern, sophisticated setting has four restaurants, kill shops. When you can find your gifts or your souvenirs, it also has an indoor pool, and there are many vantage points to where you can take in the views of Cook Endless and the Charkov Mountains. The hotel's exceptional amenities may have made it Alaska's only member of the preferred hotels and resorts worldwide. This is an organization of 620 of the finest independently owned and managed luxury hotels and resorts across the world. So ooh-la-la, la, as I said, it's gorgeous. Ponse, Ponse, Ponse. Now, much like the adjacent Cook Inlet uh, Hotel Captain Cook is named after Captain James Cook, the English explorer and cartographer who first charted the jagged Alaskan coast in 1778 while searching for that elusive Northwest Passage. Well, nearly two centuries have passed uh, since the hotel Captain Cook has opened. Excuse me, two centuries have passed by the time the hotel opened in 1965. It speaks to the shadow of that adventurer's legacy that casts over the, of the development of Alaska to this day. The man responsible for laying the groundwork of this modern hotel was Walter J. Hickel, a former governor of Alaska. Differentiating himself from many other politicians, Hickel invested his own money in the Anchorage economy by building the first tower of the Hotel Captain Cook, a vote of confidence in its growing prosperity of the frontier city. Given the luxury and comforts that the hotel provides, it's a little surprise that some spirits have chosen this site to haunt for the rest of their days beyond the veil. And the most frequently reported apparition at the hotel is a woman dressed in white who so appears in all places. The women's lobby restroom. Can't get away from the haunted toilet. Details were never really recorded, as most hotels try to keep such information as private as possible. But in 1972, a young guest at the hotel committed suicide in that restroom. Her presence has seen and felt all these decades later with subtle paranormal activity. Innocently enough, female guests in the restroom have spoken of the lights, wildly clicking on and off, with nobody controlling them. Only a foreign maintenance worker, of course, come in and determine that there's absolutely no problem with the secretary as well as with the sink boxes that mysteriously switch on and off. Female guests inside the actual stall have complained of adjoining stall doors flying open and banging back and forth quite violently, and the overactive stall doors have no explanation, as nobody is found to be in the restroom at all when this happens. Guests who have seen the spirit describe her as younger, in her 20s, dressed in white, having a stressed look on her face. In fact, the female guests at the hotel who have entered the restroom have come out so panicked at the activity that it's not uncommon for a guest services manager to go into the restroom and openly ask the young spirit to stop making a commotion. Some people have speculated that a separate entity is also haunting the space just outside the tower, and some people have spoken to an unseen hand trying to intertwine its fingers into the hair of that of the living. Love to. <laughs> I know when he comes back at Monty, that's what he's going <laughs> Just know it.
1: Yep. Whereas
0: okay. I'm going to go beat.
1: So we have a uh, Diane says so she actually stayed
0: there. Oh. Yeah. Oh, it is. Yeah. Yay.
1: Yeah, it's on our short list. Uh, this cruise that we're going to be going on is not making it all the way up to Anchorage. It's yeah. going to be the, uh, the inside passage area. So, uh, so
0: we'll have to go back to Alaska and do some of the other places. We're going to see Anchorage in one of them.
1: Yeah. Done. Now, we're not quite done in Anchorage. We got one last stop there.
0: Because how at high school. I had to.
1: Yeah, of course you did. So for this, we're going to move just a couple miles to the south to West Anchorage High School. Perched on the bluff above the Westchester Lagoon, West Anchorage High School has served the community since 1953, and with almost 70 years of history, has seen several generations of Anchorageites—which that is the Perfect. proper terminology—I looked it up. Anchorageites have received an education within its walls. While a 1950s-era high school might not sound like prime paranormal territory, it does seem that someone's spirit lingers on here. The commonly cited spirit is that of a girl in white who haunts the old auditorium in the school. She's been spotted off and on for decades, sometimes standing mute among darkened seats in the cavernous and echoing space, sometimes fleeing through corridors, sometimes lurking backstage or in the fluorescent lit basement halls. Stephanie went back. Mm No kidding.
0: <laughs> okay, Cussie, we'll have to ask you for your own stories so, later.
1: So um, this is what we found, and if we are wildly off the mark, please send us a private message. <laughs> but or if
0: there are more stories, send us a private message. Yeah, so cool. All right. Wow, we have all
1: kinds of awesome people. So uh, now the sightings have a remarkable consistency, always a female, elusive, wearing white clothes. A variety of people, school officials, students, visitors, have contributed to the reports. She seems to like catching some people unawares, as many of those who have witnessed her apparition claim that they have never heard of any encounters at West Anchorage High before they had their unsettling encounter with her presence. Her activity is rarely consistent, which may be part of the reason why she takes so many people by surprise. In one incident, a student stage manager saw a girl in pale clothing, open an off-limits backstage door during a dress rehearsal, and jumped up in exasperation. When he opened the door into an alcove to confront her for violating the rules, no one was there. At the far end of the theater, through a narrow door and up 23 steps, she will enter a narrow corridor behind the balcony. Plain white walls and an unfortunate green carpet line this gently curving hall. By the time you get to the middle of the corridor, the ends are actually out of sight due to the curve, leaving you with a claustrophobic, trapped feeling. It's here that two assistant principals and a security guard were rattled when something in white flashed by them in their confined space. To this day, one of those assistant principals completely refuses to discuss what happened. In another encounter, a theater teacher was alone in the Alone in the theater late one evening when he heard the distinct sounds of someone navigating the narrow hallway. Despite his confidence that he was alone, he called out, Hello? As you might expect, he received no answer, and further investigation proved that there was, in fact, no one there. As a result of these encounters and other tales of the girl in white, many individuals hesitate or outright refuse to navigate the corridor alone. While the girl in white might be the most well-known of the spirits of West Anchorage High, she is hardly alone. Another haunting might include a former janitor who has been seen persistently sweeping the lobby when no one should be there. There have also been reports of footsteps tip-tapping around the corner of empty halls, slamming doors, lights uh, light switching on and off, all signs one might not be quite as alone as they think, especially when the hour is particularly late.
0: So Stephanie did mention that she walks the uh, tunnels underneath the school and sits up on the balcony as well.
1: Excellent. Well, cool. <laughs> we're excited to have you here tonight. Yay! <laughs> nice to have a, a native Anchorageite yep. here on the show. Thank you for that. Thanks for uh, kind of somewhat verifying what I what I had to say there.
0: Yes, Nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so now we're going to jump up to Skagway, which is actually one of the stops on our cruise, and we are going to go visit the Red Onion uh, Um, Saloon. I've actually been told by two people who lived in Skagway that are now in Richmond, you have to go see this place and you have to have lunch there, so that's kind of our plan. Uh, So this is to the south and the east, and it's, uh, of course, as we said, in the Inside Passage. It's a popular cruise ship route. It's lined with majestic fjords, glaciers, and other beautiful scenery. It's home to a number, uh, numerous quaint settlements and towns, many of which have roots dating back
1: to the gold rush
0: days or to the early in, indigenous peoples. The discovery of gold in the UK, Yukon in 1896 set off the climb up the gold rush, which saw roughly 100,000 prospectors flood into the territory, all with the hope of striking it rich. Much of this traffic flowed through Skagway, which offered both a deep water port and the most direct overland route to the gold days. The population of Skagway exploded, going from 700 residents to one, uh, in 1897 to approximately 10,000 in 1898, making it the largest city in Alaska at the time. It didn't last that long. By 1900, the population was back down to 1,800 people. These were chaotic bumps. Uh, this was a chaotic boom and bust time, right? With ambition, corruption, lawlessness, shattered dreams, disease, and ultimately death and made it for fertile grounds for ghost stories. At the start of the Gold Rush boom, the Red Onion Flume was one of the early establishments to call Skagway home. It was built in 1897 as one of the most prominent casinos and, most notably, bordellas around the area. As more settlements were established closer to the gold fields, business began to slow, and the Red Onion moved to a location such as the Rail Depot in hopes of lowering more customers. Over time, the original building to host the Red Onion served a number of purposes, including U.S. Army barracks during World War II, TV stations, a bakery, and a gift shop. In 1980, it was reopened as the Red Onion, and only this time it's a restaurant bar and, well, a bordello museum. This is going to be fun. <laughs> We're going. there. I can't wait to see this place. Although well, times have changed, the spirit of the Wild Frontier Days are uh, still alive and celebrated. Each summer visitors from all over the world flock to the Red Onion to enjoy the lively establishment touring the museum and investigating the paranormal activity that the Red Onion is notorious for. Whether you're just checking out the Red Onion's tantalizing history or searching for spirits of yesteryear, you will inevitably find yourself walking through the narrow hallways of the Bordello Museum lined with wallpaper and decor that have changed very little since the 19th century. The museum is filled with many antiques from charming relics and, of course, items from the gold rush days. As you walk around, you'll discover paintings on the wall, which are representations of madams that used to work in the brothel during the early 1900s. Now, back in the day, ten dolls were actually placed on the bar, and they represented the ten girls upstairs working in the brothel. When a gentleman would come in looking for companionship, they would point out the doll that they were most interested in, and the bartender would then indicate whether or not the girl was busy or available. When a madam was occupied upstairs, the bartender would then lay the doll down on her back. Once the madam and the customer finished their time together, the bartender would stand the doll back up. While the dolls and those who they represent have long since retired, one of the former madams doesn't seem quite ready to leave the red end. There have been reports of footsteps heard on the second floor where the Bardello operates. While there's no one to be seen there walking around, the strong smell of perfume would be lingering in the air, and there would be extremely cold spots where the smell would be coming from. On one occasion, when a disturbance was heard upstairs, the police were called, and as they approached the top of the stairs, they claimed to sell what was a shadow figure running down the hall and into a room. The room turned out to be the former madam's room. It is believed she is the spirit of Lydia, And while it's uncertain where or how she met her eventual end, it seems she has come back to a place she knew well. When she has not seen, heard, or smelled in the hallway, she has been seen in her one-time chamber seemingly going through the motions of watering plants. This despite the fact that there are no plants kept in the room today. If you linger on in her room after dark, you may notice that the lights flicker and sway on their own accord. Lydia's spirit is said, nothing to worry about as she has never been malicious or mischievous to those who visit her today. Perhaps that's just her continuing tendency to be gracious hostess to the visitors of the Red Onion, particularly those coming to check out the Bordello Museum. Even if you can't make it inside, people walking by on the street have sometimes claimed to see the spirits moving around in the upstairs windows. So if you catch a glimpse of Lydia, be sure you give her a friendly way or a kind hello. She
1: only seems to want to keep the red onion at a suitable place for you to Any questions? No. Okay. So moving just a little up the street in Skagway uh, on a relatively small footprint, you don't need to go too far to find the White House Bed and Breakfast. So yes, no, this has absolutely nothing to do with the White House in Washington, D.C. It's It's a White House. It's a White House that they call the White House. So it was built in 1902, and it was initially a hospital, then a daycare center, and eventually a bed and breakfast. Well, it was closed for an extended period um, after a fire in 1980. It was eventually restored back to uh, to a comfortable establishment that stands today. While hotels and hospitals are often renowned to be haunted, it seems that the building's time as a daycare may have left a lingering spirit of impression. Guests of the White House Bed and Breakfast have reported the presence of a young woman who is believed to be the one-time owner of the building during its daycare era. She has been seen speaking to children as she would have done once uh, when operating the daycare. As for the adults, she may just stare at you as if to question why you are intruding in the space that was reserved for the care and development of children. As fierce as her glare can seem, she doesn't seem to want to harm anyone. Just don't be surprised if you get the feeling of being watched, as you may just be getting judged by a spirit of days past. Auntie <clears throat> you. that was a short one. Yeah, that's a short one. Yeah. And, again, just as an anchorage, there is more than one lodging establishment in Skagway that hosts guests of the spirited sort. Now, I will preface this by saying that this place still stands, but it is no longer actually an active hotel. I will mention that a little later on, but I don't want to get your hopes for it. Anyways, so uh, the ghost, and uh, also, yes, I'm sorry, this is also one of our cautionary spirited tales as well.
0: When you start to
1: see red flags, you dig a little deeper. Yes. So, um, yeah, this uh, establishment, uh, you know, that hosts guests of the Spirit of Tour, or at least that's what some of the one-time proprietors wanted people to believe. The two-story building that would be uh, be home to the Golden North Hotel was built in 1898 at the corner of 4th Avenue and State Street as the home of the Klondike Trading Company. Key point, two-story building get back to that. Opening at the height of the rush, the Klondike Trading Company provided provisions to some of the 1,000 prospectors passing through the city every week. It was in another building later that's, uh, that same year that the first Golden North Hotel opened for business. Now, with the slowing of the rush, the Golden North Hotel would be rented by the U.S. military in 1904 for use as a barracks. In 1908, the Klondike Trading Company building was moved to the corner of 3rd Avenue and Broadway. And as a part of this move, the Golden North Hotel moved into the building as well. Unlike its earlier years, the new Golden North Hotel catered to long-term tenants rather than transient gold prospectors. It was effectively what we would consider a federal apartment. It's here that we begin one of our cautionary tales where facts get fuzzy and myths emerge. The tale involves a prospector, sometimes referred to as Klondike Ike, who travels to Skagway with his fiancée, Mary. Mary took up residence in room 23 on the third floor of the Golden North, while Ike headed out on the 500-mile journey to the Goldfields. Now, mind you, Goldfields, prospecting. rush tapering off. Facts don't quite match the reality here. Moving on. Now, while Mary avoided the perils of the gold fields herself, it turns out that her stay in Skagway was not fated to be any safer. Some say that Mary fell ill with pneumonia. Some say she grew worried when Ike didn't return when he was meant to and locked herself in her room. Others say that Mary cloistered herself because she was hiding out from local ruffians. Whatever the circumstances, Mary died in her room while waiting for Ike to return from his prospecting expedition. The most popular tale involves the hotel staff eventually breaking down the door of room 23 to find Mary dead, wearing the dress she had intended to wear at her wedding. They say she haunts the building to this day, although reported sightings widely vary, with some seeing a spectral woman roaming the halls or watching at a window for her fiancé's return some hearing mysterious noises or feeling unexplained blasts of cold air. And some later guests of Room 23 reported waking up in the middle of the night feeling like they're choking as if they were suffering from pneumonia. Now, the fact that there are so many variations of what could have caused Mary's demise raises some red flags in and of itself. What's true is that when the Golden North opened in its new location in the freshly relocated Klondike Trading Company, Mercantile Building in the years. Captures the Gold Rush. A third floor was added to create additional space for guests and commerce. At this time, the Golden North was operated by George and Bessie Dedman. To supplement their income, Bessie opened a photo and framing shop on the street level where she would also take photos for the cruise ship the guests make, uh, visiting the area. Over time, the Golden North would change hands, and in the 1960s, the Afgar family that owned the hotel felt that they needed a boost, So they decided to scare up some business with a tragic ghostly tale. By this time, the Golden North had been a three-story establishment for over a half a century. And the story that they came up with revolved around the ghost of an unfortunate young woman who accompanied her fiancé to Alaska during the Gold Rush. Mary, as they called her, would haunt the building's distinct dome room on the third floor of the hotel where she passed away. They even held a seance to prove her presence and Ruth Efgar borrowed a wedding dress to stage ghostly photos of Mary's tragic spirit. Now, other than the fact that the mercantile building wasn't a hotel during the gold rush, and it didn't have a third floor until after the move to the, in the gold, post-gold rush era, it could have made for a convincing story. Unfortunately, the historical inaccuracies are a bit too glaring to ignore, and the Epgar family's work of fiction is well-documented. Well, there are people who would swear to have seen the ghost of a woman in a wedding dress, if she does exist, it would not be our fictional Mary. Aside from Mary, people have reported some other experiences in the Golden North. And while not a particularly detailed tale, its legitimacy may benefit from the mystery surrounding it in the wake of the deceptive story about Mary. This involves room 14 on the second floor, where staff and guests report seeing a mysterious light that some describe as a small, twinkling light, while others just simply call it an orb. The origin of this light is unknown, but it apparently has never done anything to make people feel threatened, merely curious. While the building is still there and still features the golden North sign, the hotel did close in 2002 and thus the haunted rooms can no longer be rented by curious ghost hunters. The hotel is no longer a hotel. Rather, it is currently occupied by frontier excursions and adventures. Instead of welcoming hotel guests, the ground floor is the shop targeting the people coming off the cruise ships, much as was done in the Klondike Trading Company days a century ago. So, Kind of a little bit of a jumbled tale there. It was kind of uh, um, a little tough to mesh the, the the fictional Mary story with the facts surrounding the Afgar family and what they did in the 60s. So yeah, kind of very uh, very interesting. And you uh, know, it may still have some spirits there. We're not the, we're not going to come right out and say that it's definitely not haunted. But uh, yeah, Mary can take her with a little bit of grain salt. Yeah.
0: All right. So we're actually going to move our way um, south through the Inside Passage on our way to Juneau, which of course is the capital of Alaska. Juneau served as the official capital since the territorial days in, the, uh, in 1906. Despite some efforts over the years to have capital relocate to a much larger urban center of Anchorage. Before we dive right in, One interesting fact is that despite only being home to a little over 32,000 residents, Juneau is the second largest city in the United States by land mass. It encompasses over 3,250 square miles. Only about 14 of those square miles are considered to be part of the urban center, with most of the land dedicated to the Alaskan footprint. Mm -hmm. One of Juneau's earliest settlers was Gus. Schmidt, a German immigrant, who founded the San Francisco Bakery near 2nd and Main Street in 1902. Today, the property is comprised of four separate buildings that have been added over a 110-year period. The current restaurant in Boca Alupa is a wood-fired oven near the original oven located over 100 years ago. It has been owned by only three families, all of whom raised their kids in the building. Thus, and four generations of his family have lived there until 1980 where the building was sold, and the upstairs apartments were converted into a small hotel. The building currently operates a 12-room boutique hotel, an Italian restaurant, and a family apartment for the owners. While the bakery has closed its doors, many of the visitors have reported that after Gus passed away in 1938, his friendly spirit was said to have been seen and felt during the morning time in both the hotel and bakery. It seems that for Gus, his bakery may have been more than just his business, and then it may, in fact, have been a passion. Speaking for myself, I can't imagine spending my afterlife with years continuing to get up early and go to work. So cheers to our happy, haunted Baker' I've
1: been brought a toy. Yes, you have. Oh. Okay. I, I continue on.
0: I've been brought a toy. Somebody wants to play fetch.
1: Okay. So. <coughs> Continuing on with the haunted Alaskan hotel theme, yes, there are a lot of haunted hotels up in Alaska.
0: Check out that file. they it a few.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, the Alaskan Hotel, that is its name, the Alaskan Hotel. Original. Yep. Opened in 1913 and was regarded as one of the best hotels along the Pacific Coast. Since its opening, thousands of people have stayed at the Alaskan Hotel, but a few have never left. Built in just five months, the Alaskan Hotel opened its doors to much fanfare and continues to operate as the oldest hotel in southeast Alaska. Upon its grand opening, the dispatch newspaper wrote that at 6 p.m. the management will formally unlock the doors and the keys will then be attached to a toy balloon which will carry them out of sight. From the moment the doors swing open, never to close, the hotel will be for the accommodation of guests. During its 107-year history, the hotel has had some tough times and was even condemned in the 1970s, but it did manage to make the National Register of Historic Places on October 25th of 1978. Present owners, Mike and Betty Adams, have renovated the hotel to its original Victorian style. Today, visitors can stay in one of the old-fashioned hotel rooms, grab a drink at the bar, and rub elbows with the spirits that linger throughout the building. Alice is one of the more frequent spirits that lingers within the hotel. The local legend states that Alice first came to the hotel during the gold rush with her husband, both with the dream of striking it rich. Promising that he would be back in less than a month, Alice's husband left the hotel, but when he failed to return after many weeks, Alice had to find an alternate means of supporting herself. Having used the little money her husband had left her, Alice became desperate and turned to selling her services as a means to survive. It all came to a tragic twist of fate, however, when her husband returned a short while later. When Alice's husband saw her with another man in the hotel's south-facing room, he was enraged. The legend describes a macabre scene of a furious husband firing several rounds from a revolver into the man. Leaving the last one for his wife. Alice is seen to this day in a sheer gown with her arms outstretched just as she died on the bed in room 219. Today, the staff and guests have reported interactions with Alice's ghost on many occasions. Close to where she met her gruesome demise, she lingers in the back of the hotel. Guests claim to be touched by her or see her sitting on the bed in room 218, just next door to where, you know, where supposedly she was, uh, unfortunately, unfortunate uh-huh. her
0: end. Uh-huh.
1: The apparition of her or another spirit can sometimes be seen in the mirror by, in, uh, by room 308 if you walk upstairs. A front desk clerk got the feeling of someone walking up to the desk, and when he started lifting his head, he saw the image of a blonde girl in a white dress. But when he got his head fully raised, nobody was there. She has also frequently made her presence known in Room 219, where she was murdered. As a result, many guests desire to be moved to a different room or simply leave the hotel entirely due to to an undesirable run-in with one of the Alaskan Hotel's most long-standing guests. Alice is only one of many spirits that make themselves known throughout the hotel, with another one in particular causing the biggest stir. This was not that long ago. This was May 19th of 2007, and the USS Bunker Hill, a guided missile cruiser, was in port, but it was due to leave the next day. A young Navy seaman requested to stay in room 315 because of its rumored paranormal activity. Not long after, the police were notified of a disturbance at the Alaskan Hotel. Upon arriving, the police were hurried up to room 315, where they had found the door locked. Something horrible had occurred inside the room. The young man had leapt from his third floor window, breaking it and the window to the room beneath as well. He survived the fall, but when police finally entered the room, they were horrified to find the walls streaked with blood. The employees have heard strange sounds and felt odd sensations over the years in room 315, but what happened to the Navy seamen in there on that night in 2007 remains a mystery. I'm just
0: watching
1: Do you. Yeah. you want to check on her? First, Okay All right, so from there we are going to uh, head along to sorry. Yeah, sliding just a little further down the inside passage, we'll arrive in Kitchkan, the southeasternmost settlement in Alaska. While this area has hosted people for many years, its official incorporation didn't occur until 1900. The modern town relies heavily on tourism, and it is a frequent cruise ship stop. When tourists roll into town, one of the places that they will most often frequently wind up is on Creek Street, near the south end of town, which houses all manner of touristy shops. In the past, these buildings held quite a different sort of business. From the early 1900s to 1954, the red-light district of Kitchecan flourished along Creek Street. One house built as it was in that era, with all the furnishings intact, people can take a tour of Dolly's House, now known as Dolly's House Museum. The self-guided tour starts with a bit of history about Dolly Arthur. Arthur. Dolly Arthur, born in 1888, as Thelma Copeland. She left her family home in rural Idaho at age 13, living in Montana and Vancouver, British Columbia, before making her way to Alaska. By her late teens, she realized she could make more money from the attention of men than she could as working as a waitress. In 1919, she wound up in Alaska having discovered, having discovered a way she could make a significant amount of money for that era. Dolly spent her first year in Kitchikan as the Star the only house on Creek Street actually classified as a brothel because it employed more than two women. Then she bought her own house. At a time when the average pitch can worker made a dollar a day, Dolly charged each man $3 and didn't close her door for the night until she had made $75. She bought her house for $800 and paid it off within two weeks. Eventually, she bought other houses along Creek Street, which she rented to other working girls. They referred to themselves as sporting women rather than prostitutes and prospered in a town with many single men and few women. Though most Creek Street residents worked in pairs, Dolly worked alone in her own house. Creek Street was referred to as the place where men and salmon went upstream to spawn. Classy. While single men openly walked into the boardwalk through the bordellos, married men used the more discreet married man's trail through the woods. The girls knew married clients by the mud on their shoes. During Prohibition, Dolly made more money selling small amounts of liquor for large sums to her gentleman callers than she did for prostitution. Authorities never caught her with alcohol. She kept just one bottle in the house at a time and hid the rest under the dock. In a rage, she could easily discard the one bottle without losing her entire stock of moonshine. Many of the Creek Street houses had trap doors where they could re- retrieve alcohol deliveries under the dock in the dark of night. When indoor plumbing became available, she had her house done right away, with a men's room downstairs and a full bath on the second floor. Plumbing on Creek Street in its heyday did not include hooking up with sewers, though. Before the 1960s, everything just went out into the creek to wait for the tides to take it away. Yeah, kind of nasty. Kitchetan eventually outlawed prostitution, and Dolly's was the last Creek Street house to close. Dolly retired at the age of 72, but remained living in her house until nearly the end of her life. Creek Street fell into disrepair for a time, but when tourism hit the town as a major industry, somebody realized the historical value of Creek Street and the Attraction that the area would hold for visitors. Many of the houses were restored or rebuilt. On a dark and misty night, ghost tour guide Kelly Cleese relieves people to some of downtown Kitchcan's haunted spaces. Cleese explained that in its heyday, Creek Street boasted more than 30 brothels. Cleese said when she first arrived at Kitchcan she was warned to never walk on Creek Street alone at night. She didn't heed that warning. She recalls confidently stating, I'm from Chicago, I've got a knife, we're fine. So when she proceeded to walk down Creek Street alone one night, she was caught unawares by the fright she endured. Three different people emerged from the inky shadows lining the streets only to fade away. Please was terrified and fascinated by the encounters. While the length of Creek Street is known for its shadowy encounters, it's Dolly's house that receives the most attention. Shadows, movement inside the museum when it's closed, flickering lights, it's a hot spot for activity on, the very active paranormal, on a very active paranormal stretch. Exactly who these shadows represent is up for debate, but a likely theory is that these may be some of the many men who roamed Creek Street in the red light district era. While many would openly wander, there were others who would wait on on unassuming individuals who were heading to the brothels with pockets full of cash to spend. Not all would escape Creek Street in one piece. Others wouldn't escape at all. At least not as a living, breathing individual. So if you're out on Creek Street after dark, particularly around Dolly's house, bring a buddy and a flashlight to ward off the shadows. Hi, buddy. Hello, dear. Another high school.
0: Yes, yeah, because, you know, high school. So moving to Kitchener Can High School, that is in the heart of the town, uh, for years, students here have been haunted by the spirit of an unfortunate young man who died in the theater decades ago.
1: His identity
0: has become lost to time, if he ever existed at all. But the students have taken to calling him Bucci. Whether he's supposed to be there or not, Bucci was on the catwalk of the theater when he fell to the hardwood of the stage below. It's said that when you're in the theater, you may hear the scream of the young man as he plummets to the stage floor, and if you're brave enough, you can even go stand in the center stage where a stain still lingers and look up. If you're lucky, you may have the displeasure of seeing the shadow come streaking down at you from the catwalk above. Not much else is known about Vichy, but it is said that he is a figure of the school's past and has been twisted into the popular lore that is still whispered about today. Mm -hmm. All right, so now we're going to go up to the cemetery of Kitchener. If you're brave enough to visit the uh, Bayview Cemetery late at night, not only is it a view of the bay that you might see there, but maybe the head unsettling specter of a headless woman that is sent to wander the cemetery grounds after dark. And it might not even be enough to simply try to run away from this unsettling sighting. If you attempt to leave the cemetery, you may be greeted by the woman's head in the middle of the roadway, eyes bulging, and her mouth open in a silent scream. There are no details as to who the woman may be or why she wanders needlessly around the cemetery late at night. let chalk it up to an urban legend to keep unwanted visitors away after dark, but dismiss this tale at your own terror. Apparently, Vincent is decided he was on both of us.
1: Let's see if he decides to eventually choose violence again. You never
0: know. He got a lot of brushing today. I, I felt too bad.
1: He needed it.
0: <laughs>
1: He's such a good boy right now. Now, for most of the show thus far, we've been basically focused, like, on the Alaskan coast, far southern, you know, the southern reaches of Alaska. Granted, that's where most of the people live. Um,
0: And it's also where you would most often visit.
1: Yeah. But we do have at least one story here for you to, uh, you know, we've got a couple of stories that we're going to share with you from some more, definitely less well-traveled places. And for this one, we're going to dive deep into the wilderness where one can find, or rather easily miss, the town of Central Alaska. (laughs) At last count, less than 100 people live in the community. This area hit the map in 1918 when a a 400-gallon-a-minute hot spring was developed into the Arctic Circle Hot Springs Resort, just a short eight-mile drive down the road from downtown Central. When you get up to that area... 8 miles is a very short distance, and a community of 100 people, you would say you would have a downtown. Granted, downtown probably is just like the post office, maybe a bar, but... If you're lucky. That's,
0: that's, the grocery store is
1: probably two hours away, this, if yeah. you're lucky. This is middle of nowhere Alaska for you. Now, Arctic Circle Hot Springs underwent several changes of ownership through the years, but it closed in 2002 after the owner passed away. There are rumors that a new owner is looking to restore the resort, but at this time it remains closed. Though the facility shut down due to financial troubles, perhaps some of those troubles were due to the odd happenings staff and visitors reported over the years. In the resort's third floor library, there were encounters with a female ghost that roams around the bookshelves, perhaps looking for something new to read. We fear that she would be very disappointed these days with no new books populating the shelves for at least 20 years. In the areas around the kitchen, the cooks used to hear strange whistling noises they couldn't explain coming from hallways and the exterior, leaving more than one to hang up their apron during its years of operation. The area has become an adventurous getaway for some paranormal investigators looking for far-flung locations to try to talk to spirits. One individual from California tried to contact the ghost of a former owner, and in the process recording, uh, recorded doors opening and closing on their own. They also claimed to feel the presence of the former owner's wife nearby, perhaps encouraging unwanted visitors to leave her husband alone. Other visitors have also reported seeing the main hall's chandelier swinging without the help of wind and carry, uh, hearing footsteps on the stairs and watching paintings come to life. Of course, it could be said that many of these experiences are the result of something being in the water at this all-too-active hot springs. Water activity, Yep. Mineral, you
0: know.
1: Patrick, sounds like my hometown had to go 45 minutes to the nearest movie theater, chain restaurant, or Walmart. It was nowhere to no. know. <laughs> Similar
0: to where I grew up. Similar to where we went to college.
1: Yep. Well, they were college towns. Yeah. Well-developed college towns. That's so. College towns. Yes. Nearest major city was a couple hours away. Yes. Yeah. For me to finish? Yes. Yeah. And now this is the one that you mentioned earlier, so I'll get, I'll, you get to go ahead and yeah. talk about it.
0: So this is the Buckmere building in Whittier. Uh, it's our final stop, and it's one of the most unusual communities in all of the United States, Whittier, Alaska. During the early stages of World War II, General Simon Buckner comm- uh, <coughs> excuse me, commanded the defense of Alaska and was concerned that they would be attacked by air. To protect the troops, General Buckner uh, recommended a facility that was independent of a local power plant. It was bombproof, proof and, of course, it had sufficient storage space. Whittier was the perfect place to have this military base. The Bay Area around Whittier had a deep water port that stayed ice free year long. And the town was all was one of two all weather uh railroad ports that supplied anchorage with military necessities. An added bonus, the most constant cloud coverage would protect the facility from airstrikes.
1: Very, very cloudy there. It's just it's in this little niche of niche of a valley where it's just
0: it's where the sparkly vampires live. Just saying.
1: Almost no sun. We're. I'll start packing. We're leaving.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now they need a little vitamin D. A lot of vitamin D. Okay, moving on.
1: We already take a vitamin D supplement. <laughs> Details.
0: The, the Buckner building was constructed in 1953 and it was often referred to as the city under one roof. It stands six stories tall, providing about 275,000 square feet of floor space. It had a immense hall, sleeping quarters, movie theater, bowling alley, cell jail, and other conveniences for the soldiers stationed there. The military only stayed for a little over a decade, pulling out in 1966. Despite a its sturdy construction, the building fell into neglect and, uh, of course, a series of owners in subsequent years didn't help. Since 2016, it has been fenced off to discourage trespassers, slowly continuing to fall victim to the elements of water infiltration and the interior through broken doors and windows. Before it was finally cordoned off, investigators would flock there to try and experience some paranormal gistory that transpires within the wall. Orbs' white lights are said to float through the uh, borders, apparitions ranging from spirits in military attire to civilian so dress have been reported. Many visitors have reported a weird shadowy apparition roaming its hallways late at night, as well as strange voices, the rattling of change, the sounds of whistling. While you can't investigate the Buckner building today, there is one more spot in that you may be able
1: so now while the Buckner building may be off limits there is a new city under one roof in Whittier called the Beggage Towers completed in 1957 which actually makes it I think just a few years newer than uh, the Buckner building but anyways uh, and uh, it was originally known as the Hodge building and it was built in the little discussed art. uh Archaeology style of architecture intended to provide almost everything that a person could need under one roof. In 1972, it was renamed Begich Towers in honor of an Alaskan congressman who disappeared and is to this day assumed to have been lost in a plane crash. Today, the towers house almost all of the 215 residents of Whittier, Alaska. Yeah, almost everybody in the whole town lives, lives there. there. The, the building is huge. Yeah, it's a fourteen story building and it contains a post office, general store, a hospital, the Whittier Police Department, and the Mayor's office. There's also a Methodist church, a grocery, laundry, a small hotel, a conference room, and a play area with an indoor pool. Oh
0: my paradise. I mean we could get our last and on don't have to walk far for food. Almost no sun. Uh, can we tell ghost stories then? Of
1: course, why not? I would have to be able to get another dog. Oh, you mean to actually do a ghost tour? Yeah. Yeah, that'd be tough. Probably won't be allowed. We could do this from my Coming to you live from Woody Alaska.
0: <laughs> Podcast.
1: Yeah. Anyways, amidst the small but bustling center of life, it is also reported to be particularly haunted. The spirits here don't seem to be particularly troublesome, rather they just seem to be going about their regular routines as they would have done in life. People will hear disembodied whistles in the building's corridors, just like you might hear someone whistling as they walk down the sidewalk. In one incident, the city manager woke up to hear someone rustling through the cupboards of his kitchen, as if they were getting ready to make themselves a meal. Unfortunately, for the city manager, there shouldn't have been anyone else in his units to be cooking a meal at that odd hour. Getting up to check on the disturbance, he found no one in his kitchen nor any sign of an intruder. Others in the community have reported similar experiences over the years. While the activity is generally harmless, it can be particularly terrifying in the long, dark winter when leaving the building is nearly impossible. To make matters worse, the only road joining Whittier to the rest of the world includes an unnerving two-and-a-half-mile-long tunnel that can be difficult to reach in a heavy snow. If you want to check out this unusual community for yourself, your best bet is to check it out in the relative warm months of an Alaskan summer. So,
0: Patrick made a great comment. It sounds like the perfect place to get away from the zombie apocalypse. It probably is.
1: Especially
0: with that last comment about the tunnel.
1: Yeah, it it is, you know, you can technically drive there, technically, as soon as the roads aren't closed due to snow. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's basically, it's, um, it's not an ugly building, but it is uh, like a little fortress almost. I mean, the whole town lives in there with almost everything that they need. They gotta reprovision every once in a while, and I don't think that they have any kind of um, space to to do any kind of um, farming. Although maybe that could be, they could maybe do some sort of greenhouse and allocate some space for that. Get
0: but, some hydroponics. Coming.
1: Yeah, but um, yeah, it is. Um, it's one of those places that's you know, kind of truly off the grid. So interesting spot. And uh, maybe. Yeah. maybe. Now I will. Don't whistle at night or during northern lights <laughs> is, is, it, is that saying up there? Don't whistle at night or during northern lights? I haven't heard that one. I
0: haven't either, but that sounds really interesting. I'm curious what what led to that
1: yeah kind take- especially
0: during the northern Lights.
1: yep yeah. now I will say also one thing about Whittier is that um <laughs> Okay, cool. Thank you. I learned something. <laughs> um, so yeah, don't whistle at night or during the northern lights. Noted. Okay, but um, early when we in like our introduction, we did mention that a lot of people in Alaska are you know kind of happy or open to talk about their paranormal looks ex- experiences and stuff like that. Whittier is a little bit different, and I don't blame them. I mean, this is Probably where they because, live.
0: Yeah, it's where they live. Plus, also military base there.
1: Originally. Yeah, originally. But yeah, the people that live there they, they don't really like to talk about it all too much. Um there's just a couple of people that have shared some of these kind of oddball experiences over the years, um, on top of also the uh, paranormal enthusiasts who went there before um uh the one building was closed off. So okay. So Stephanie writes thought to be the souls of the dead the Sami believed you shouldn't talk about the northern lights. It was also dangerous to tease them by waving, whistling, or singing under them, as this would alert the lights to your presence. If you caught their attention, the lights could reach down and carry you up into the sky. Oh, that's cool. Very interesting. Thank you for sharing. I love learning all tidbits like this. Yeah,
0: definitely good to know. Huh.
1: Or the guessing that's a whistle. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so um yeah, it's uh it probably comes down to the whole thing. I mean, even paranormal investigators, paranormal enthusiasts, one of the main rules, you don't investigate where you live. No. Prime example, our house. We do think there might be something here. But we don't dare go and break out our ghost hunting equipment and start trying to ask questions. We yeah. don't want to uh, you know, unintentionally upset somebody and then have that, you know, under our roof. Right. So, it's just one
0: of the things where, like, when we get equipment into for the, the company, we of course test it out and make sure everything works. So we'd say, hey, we're just making a couple of tests real quick to make sure the equipment works. You don't need to interact with it. <laughs> you know, yeah. that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Just letting you know that's what's going on.
1: Yeah. So, but yeah, anyways, that is haunts the last for this evening. Yeah. We do have, um, uh, another little pile of stories that will probably break out for a Haunted Alaska Part 2 at the, some point in the future.
0: Especially
1: after we have our ghost tour in Alaska. Yep, yeah, but uh, we do have a lot of uh, other material already on the slate. Uh, so let's see, upcoming shows. We have, uh, in three weeks, we're going to be breaking out Haunted Distilleries Part 2. You might remember uh, we did Haunted Distilleries Part 1. And that's and a part choice Story 2. Yes, yeah, Spirits and spirits, what can you say? So, yes, we're going back to stories. Yep. And then uh, uh, one of our one of our early popular ones that we did uh, back in 2020 was actually pop culture hauntings. And these are um, stories of um, uh, shows and
0: movies that have been inspired
1: by, by these events. By true life horror incidents. So... Uh, I think that we did the first one, I think it was November 2020. So if you want to go back and catch that, that was a fun episode to do. We totally weren't sure how that was going to go, but it worked out really well, and we got some more to share with you and break out of part two for that. And then mid-August, three shows from now, we have murder house hauntings. So yeah, those infamous murder houses and whatnot, and the ghost stories associated with them, that's what we're we're going to talk about. We're going to be talking about some of that. So we have uh, a lot coming up in uh, yeah. the next few episodes, and, uh, yeah, as, looking forward to that. Um, so, yeah, just a couple of quick things to wrap up here. Um, quick reminder is that in about one month's time, again, Scares the Care down in uh, Williamsburg, um, the, the charity weekend event down there, going to be a lot of fun. We're going to be there all weekend. Yeah, but our, uh,
0: July 29th, 30th, and 31st. Yep.
1: Yeah. Our headlining event, if you will, for us personally is we're sponsoring the 5K race that's going to be on Saturday morning, July 30th. Um, so if you go to um, Scares the Care, you can best place to look is honestly look at their Facebook page. Yeah. you can look them up on Facebook, um, and they got all kinds of stuff posted there. There uh, because the you know they're posting multiple times a day now with all the events coming up. So,
0: I any mean, of if you can't like come and run in person, they do have what's known as uh, spirit runners yep. or walkers so you can actually virtually
1: run and join as well. Yep, so and that is that sign-up is uh, it's all through their uh, run sign-up is who they're working with for the uh, sign-ups for the race, and uh, you can go check that out.
0: Chris will be running. I'll be dancing.
1: Uh, yes, yeah. uh, and our friend, uh, we just uh, got our, our friend Paul Hope is going to join yep. us down there on Saturday. He's going to also uh, run with me, or more rather probably run me into the ground. Uh, but anyways, um
0: But he's going to run, remember, we do work with him. He's the one who wrote Police and the Paranormal at our Capitol grounds and the haunting events that the uh, Capitol police officers have experienced. So he's going to be there Saturday doing the run and then hanging out during the day um, so you'll be able to meet him.
1: Yep, and uh, we'll have his books on sale uh, all weekend long, but if you come and see him on Saturday, he can do a little little personalized signing for you. And, uh, yeah, of course, um, yeah, Haunts of Key West it's uh, just a, a really just a few months away at this point. So Key West, Florida, the first full weekend of December, we will be down there um, uh, hanging out in paradise for a few days. Yep. We got two paranormal investigations lined up. One of them with uh, David Sloan, the godfather of all things haunted in Key West uh, with these, uh, the um, Sloan's ghost fort, the East Martello museum. There's going to be a, uh, and of an uh, investigation and you get to do a uh, uh, a little meetup with Robert the doll the infamous Robert the doll um, so just uh and he's cool he is cool he is nice cool. yeah he, you know, he he, he, gets, he barely gets a bad rap yeah yeah you just need to be nice and he is only one
0: of many spirits and that that museum is like 22
1: other ones yeah lots of spirits so that's gonna be a fun night and then we also are uh, doing a paranormal investigation at the Audubon house down there beautiful home
0: we will have equipment so if you want to join us, and you don't have equipment, we'll provide some. Uh, if you want to join us and you have equipment, great, bring it. We can't wait.
1: Yep.
0: Um, but definitely you want to make those reservations soon. Uh, by the end of July, we have to release our hotel uh, uh, reservations or holds that we have. So definitely make those reservations.
1: Yeah. So that's going to be um, a good time. And a
0: haunted hotel that we're staying.
1: Yes, Yeah. So. The, the, the Kimpton Winslow Bungalows. Yeah. So, uh, it's It's uh, uh, yeah, got a couple of little ghost stories in and of its own. So, yeah, fun. going to be a fun weekend down there. Um, and uh, you can look that up, see more about the, uh, the trip, and uh, make, uh, make a deposit. You know, get your reservation at hauntofkeywest.com. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's what we got coming up. Um,
0: what we've been working on.
1: What we've been working on. we got a, a lot going on. So, tours, seven nights a week. Um, so you can come out and see us, uh, any night of the week. i see say us, you know, us and, our, our guides giving, uh, uh, ghost tours of, um, various places across downtown Richmond. So,
0: yep, doing that through, uh, Labor, Day Labor Day.
1: Yep. So got another couple months of doing that and, uh, then, geez, then we'll be on, um, uh, October's doorstep. So it's going to be fun. Yep. A lot going on and, uh. As always, we're very happy to hear from you at any time. You can drop us a note, use the Facebook Messenger. You can send us an email, what Sign happens. up for our newsletter. Yeah, sign up for our newsletter. You can do that. You can, uh, there's a little link you can sign up via Facebook on our Facebook page, or you can just go to hauntofrichmond.com and click on the button at the top that says Newsletter to go ahead and get signed up there. So, uh, so much going on. Yeah. So with
0: that, I'm going to disturb the kitty because we do need to end the session and yep. we will see you on
1: the, what did it say, 19th? I don't know. Three weeks from today.
0: Three weeks from
1: today. And it's, it's actually it's already on Facebook. I got the event already posted up there, so you can go ahead. You can check that out and uh, click interested or going and tune in with us here in three weeks.
0: Yep. So with that, we will say night to all and, uh, you
1: know, spooky drink. Yep. Thanks for watching. Bye. Have a good night. Bye, everybody.